Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Good evening. It is Monday evening and that means it is time for the Monday Night Euro Review Show from the Anglo-Italian pod. And I'm joined by a very good friend and another good friend. Let's start with Ben. Ben, how are we doing, man? All good. All good, thank you, man. Disappointed to be out of the cup, but um, it was a good weekend for football. And you know what? Sometimes, you know, you got to move on. So well, I'm all good, thanks. I'm all good and looking forward to getting into it. Nice. This is it. We move, as they say on Twitter, right? Exactly. And we, we are move. joined by... <laughs> first, it's your debut on the show um, from KH Analytics, Kieran Hill. How are we doing, man? You good? Yeah, I'm good, thank you. Uh, very bizarre week of football, all in all, but yeah, ready to ready to get into it. Nice. Yeah, there's lots to talk about. Just when people start doubting the FA Cup, it comes with all the magic of the Cup TM. And I think we're going to start with the FA Cup, probably. There's a lot to talk about this week. We're going to obviously go through Maidstone, their incredible run, and that incredible video of their reaction to the next tie. If you've not seen that, we'll be talking about Newport coming close We'll talk about Luton a little bit and we'll do a general roundup of the FA Cup. And of course, sorry, Ben, we'll be talking about Man City and Spurs. And then in Serie A, we'll be talking about Lautaro Martinez having a career-defining season as it stands. Milan letting it slip and a little bit of drama down at the bottom. So lots, lots to get on with. So let's just go for it and we'll start with the FA Cup and let's go for... Maidstone on the march. Incredible stuff from them. Um, lovely early kickoff. Just just as you finish your lunch or just as you're tucking into your lunch, it's time to get some FA Cup football. It's beautiful. Um, now, Ben, was this as simple as this statistic showed? 38 shots for Ipswich, I think. Two for Maidstone, but they got the win. Or is that doing Maidstone a bit of a disservice? I, I actually think that it doesn't do them a disservice. It just kind of it highlights exactly how the game was, but it highlights mm-hmm. their kind of defiance as well. And you know they weren't. I think what I saw from a lot of Ipswich fans after as well was, especially with them being a Championship side and a side that has dropped down lower than that as well over the last few years, kind of says, well, you know what, fair play to them, fair play to Maidstone. Sometimes these things happen. Their keeper was excellent. Um, they had a few in the first half. They were quite lucky on a couple of occasions. There was a couple of deflected shots that hit the post that. He would have been nowhere near. Um, there was that one, I think it was, who was it from? I can't remember now. But it was uh, there was that one that hit the post. But other than that, he made a hell of a lot of good saves. And they, you know, they dug in there and they were kind of value for it as well. And, you know, like you said, the magic of the cup, as they say, has kind of been in full force this weekend. And certainly in the FA Cup so far, we've had a lot of good stories. Maidstone being one of them, knocking out Stevenage and then knocking out Ipswich. And, you know who's to say they can't go another round further obviously we'll talk about the draw in a minute but they um they, it was brilliant it was absolutely brilliant to see the first goal was taken with such quality as well it was a beautiful um, finish that was like really, a premier league level finish it was so composed so exactly composed. that's what i was going to say like the composure to have in that in a game of kind of it's it's always a tricky one because you kind of say it's a game of huge magnitude for maidstone but also like they're playing with no pressure are they so it's 
it's kind of one of those it's, it's why we see these kind of shocks because obviously you know there's uh, there isn't pressure on it from the outside but everybody's kind of looking on and willing them on so that kind of creates that creates an element of pressure within itself but I don't think the players necessarily feel that and obviously I think George Elikobi's done such a brilliant job there to kind of cultivate this real community feel and um it's just a brilliant, brilliant story. The second goal they were a bit fortunate with because I think the irony is if they were probably playing against a Premier League club, that goal probably would have got chalked off because of the foul on the halfway line. Mm-hmm. But you know what? That's even that's the kind of special part of it as well. It's proper football, proper FA Cup tie, and yeah, they they were through. And it, they, uh, it's it's really tricky because you want to say they deserved it, and that everyone, I think everyone would give it to them like one hundred percent, and. They deserve to be exactly where they are. Obviously, Ipswich were very unlucky, but I think, especially when it's the context of having a Championship side against a lower league side compared to a Premier League side, where the fallout isn't quite as big. If that was a Premier League team, they knocked out. Obviously, the the size of the shock would be greater, but also the the fume from the side that was on the um, end of the defeat would be greater as well. So, I think Ipswich did quite well to just almost take it on the chin and mm-hmm. hand the respects over to Maidstone. I think I was watching George Elikobi be interviewed afterwards on BBC. And the Ipswich fans gave him a standing ovation as he was walking away. So I think it was a good amicable kind of feel to it. They, you know, sometimes you make your own luck in football and these stories are incredible. And yeah, all power to them. And hopefully maybe another another round further. So well, this is well, this is it. The video um, that I referenced was them. I saw it retweeted, and someone was like, "This is like they're reacting to 9/11." <laughs> it's like there's someone just screaming "Man City" in the background. Then all their faces just drop as they get Sheffield Wednesday. I think is going to be right. Get to play at Hillsborough. It's quite nice. That's a um, great tie for them, though. Like I don't. I think it is. It's nice, right? Yeah, I think the anger around it's been a bit weird. Like I, do, I kind of feel like obviously I understand why they want City. Oh, sorry, not the anger to it, to the anger towards the clip of people being like, right. oh, they should be like grateful to sort of like, be there and stuff like that. And like you can un- totally understand why they want would want City. Like, yeah, yeah. of course yeah, they would. Course. They know they're not going to go probably much further. It will be a huge draw for them. Take loads of fans up there, TV money, all that kind of stuff. It's exactly what the FA Cup's about for these kind of teams. But that said, like. Again, Sheffield Wednesday is another opportunity to knock out a side above them, uh, you know, however many levels above them. I think the National League South, so it's something mm-hmm. like six or five yeah, or yeah. six, six levels level, above them. Isn't it? Yeah, yeah. And um, so yeah, it's it's a great it's a great draw for them. But you can understand why they would want City for sure. Of course you, of course you want City. But I think and Kieran, I'm going to go to you. Like they've this this Ipswich team now. Obviously, their focus this season is much is not really on the FA Cup. It's much more on getting into the Premier League. But the fact that Maidstone have beaten them, they can look at a side like Sheffield Wednesday who maybe aren't having as good a season. And Maidstone can probably head into this with a bit of confidence, right? We can do this again. Yeah, hundred percent. I think. Um... Obviously, as you say, like they they did get sort of dominated in the game, but the game management from uh, Ella Kobe was incredible, mm. and like the fact that they like you know they managed to win from those sort of statistics is like crazy, and I think as you say, like Ipswich are having a way better season than Sheffield Wednesday. They, if anything, they're a, they're a league apart in itself. So mm. it's like if if you can go to Portman Road and get a win. Who says that you can't go to Hillsborough or what was it? Was it Coventry the other? Side? Coventry was the other option. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, so it's e- either of those grounds are uh, that that's they will now be seeing that as a winnable game. Whether whether it is or not will, is yet to be seen. But I think if you're a Maidstone fan, I, I'd be, I'd be buzzing with that because you you've mm-hmm. got the opportunity to go to um, the what would it be the quarterfinals if they win. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, so they, if, if they've got, like, I think they've got a real chance of getting to the mm-hmm. finals now. So I think it's a great draw for them, personally. 
Yeah, no, it's, it is fantastic. They're the first. They're the first team from the sixth tier to get this far since Blythe Spartans in 1976 or 1978, I think it was. So it is genuinely history defining what they're doing here. It's incredible. George Ellicobi came across. He always comes across so well. His story is really inspiring. It just seems like such a top bloke. But we've got this far, and we haven't even mentioned the guy who fell on top of the fans <laughs> rolling off the roof, which I think is my possible highlight of the weekend. Just imagining some 40-year-old dad falling on you as you're just trying to like enjoy the game. <laughs> absolute scenes. And did you see the policeman at the end in the video who was trying to like control the crowd? Just the most futile effort ever. Yeah. No reaction to the bloke falling yeah. over. Just try to tell, no. sit down, please. Sit down, please. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely mental. Love it. Incredible for Maidstone. And yeah, their goalkeeper, um, we need to give their goalkeeper a shout out. We gave him a bit of a shout out, but he's got a few caps for like Brazil under 20s. And you might remember a story a few years ago for Torquay. He scored in the playoffs, yeah. a last minute equaliser, and then saved two penalties in the shootout. They Big lost, game. unfortunately. It's what got a previous. career that guy's having. It's insane. <laughs> yeah. That was you could see how emotional he was in his interview as well afterwards. He kind of just broke down in tears on mm -hmm. the BBC and was sort of like it's just, yeah, it's an amazing, it's so funny sometimes how, like often you see with these sort of smaller minnow sides in the FA Cup that get this far, it's a massive story in themselves. But the beauty of it is that there's so many little kind of subplots within the within the team, like whether this player has been brought in only a few weeks ago on a trial or like he's a part-time plumber, all this kind of stuff. Like you, that's what the FA Cup is all about. A chance for people who, you know, a, a non-league club, to go and mix it with a team that's on the verge of potentially being promoted to the Premier League, if not, you know, a, a draw from against Man City or Liverpool could have been beckoning mm -hmm. for them as well. Like, it's just an incredible story, and he deserves all the credit because it's you know it's easy sometimes for like I feel like sometimes in these situations, a goalkeeper's performance in this will kind of be it'll almost get he almost get patted on the head a little bit and say, oh, didn't he do really well? And, you know, it was either in spite of the victory or in spite of a defeat, maybe. And it's like, oh, well, they, they gave it everything they did, but he won them the game. And, like, mm -hmm. some of the saves weren't and even necessarily... He wasn't pulling out a load of worldy saves. He just needed to be... Like, he was where he needed to be. And he caught everything. There was a goal mouth scramble that they dealt that with, was, like, really, really well as well. They were defended really well, mate, Stone, like, yeah, as yeah. well as they can against really quality opposition. Some... Um, he likes of Jeremy Sarmiento, who's just gone to Ipswich, who was at West Brom previously. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, there's a couple of other loans as well who are thriving there as well. So, yeah, it was a massive, massive result for them. And their keeper was just ridiculous. It was, yeah. yeah it was, I think it was that save in the far corner at the end that was the one yeah. that stood out. Yeah, it just tipped over the bar. Yeah, I do feel like there needs to be a bit of leveling at Ipswich that they just weren't able to. A lot of the shots they had, Kieran, just weren't particularly high quality. A lot of them just went pretty much at the goalkeeper right yeah and th this is what i thought i think so you can sort of tell it uh like a great deal about the game by the fact that they had what was it 38 or something yeah, shots. Yeah. but also as you say the quality of the shots weren't amazing and like the, the keeper did really well but i think Ipswich should have definitely taken a few i mean it goes without saying with that, with yeah. that many shots you've got to take a few of those chances but yeah. um yeah i, th I thought take nothing away from Maidstone. They, I thought they, they deserved it because, yeah, I thought they, they their game management was excellent. Yeah. So. 
Well, that's it. Exactly. It's what we want to see. And their, their, their breaks were so incisive. And again, just a quick mention for that first goal. Absolutely beautiful finish. Yeah. The confidence behind that. But we're going to leave Maidstone there for now. Um, and we're going to move on to... It was so close. It was nearly an upset we all wanted. I turned over as it was 2-0. And I was like, right, sod this. I'm not going to sit and watch United win. And then Ben messaged on our group like, oh, oh, it's back on. It's back on. So, Ben, I'm going to give you the lead here. I thought it was all done with 17 minutes, but Manchester United endeavour to keep us all on our toes. Yeah, they're the biggest surprise package uh, in football in the Premier League, I think. And that's not a good thing either. It's just like, because half the time you know exactly what you're going to get. But sometimes in these games, you see a little bit something different from United. Like they played, I mean, you can't give them too much credit. They were playing against a side that I think 16th in League Two. But they came out, the first goal from Fernandes was really well worked. Mm -hmm. The second goal again, good goal. And it was like, it just felt, yeah, that's it, done. Game, even at 1-0, like it just sort of felt like that. But yeah. Newport kind of got back into it from out of nothing with that goal. Well, a brilliant strike that took a deflection from outside the box. And to be fair, I thought Newport kind of overran United's midfield a lot of the time as well. I thought Casemiro has a really poor game. And I think he's one of those players that's almost not being talked about as much because Anthony and Rashford and these other players, and Fernandez kind of are picking up a lot of the stick, rightly so. Mm -hmm. Like that doesn't diminish that in the slightest, but Casemiro's kind of fall off this year has not gone under the radar. But I think in this sort of game against the League Two side, highlights that even more. I think he had sixty odd percent pass completion when he had a lot of the ball as well. He gave it away so much, and Newport were kind of winning that midfield battle for a lot of the game. And United were, you know, they you can say they were deserved winners. They had the more quality. They put out a very strong team as well, United. Let's not kind of let that be forgotten. It was basically as strong as they could have gone. Um, and they got the job done in the end. I thought Hoyland had probably one of his best games for United. I think it's kind of um, shows that it's just about the service that he's not really getting. Because I think there was a stat that all of the goals that he scored for United have kind of been made by himself. He hasn't, no one has assisted a Hoyland goal in the league or in all competitions. Um, or maybe it's not in the there was because there was a few in the Champions League, it must yeah. be. But I saw that stat earlier. And um, he grafted hard for his goal. I saw there was a moment where he got really, really frustrated with Garnacho for not putting the ball in the box when he would have basically just had a tap in. I think what's good about Hoyland now is I think he's starting to, where some of the other characters are falling away at United, and we'll probably get on to talk about Rashford. I think he's, as this younger player, big sign and a lot of money, is kind of starting to establish himself as one of the more maybe not senior players, but he's trying to make himself a bit of a leader in that yeah. team because yeah. I think he does a lot of good work up front that kind of goes a little bit unnoticed or not unnoticed, but unrewarded for sure in terms of his goal output. Um, and I think it's definitely coming for him. It's just about the quality around him. But I think, again, it's another it's another result that, and again, obviously, there's an element of bias here as a Spurs fan, but I thought uh, when we played United, even though it was a positive result for them in the sense it was a draw against a rival and obviously they've gone through to the next round of the cup, I think it's, again, another it's another game, even though it's a positive result, that teaches us more about United's failings than what they're actually good at. And I think it was a very concerning performance and concerning in the way that Ten Hag just sort of completely snapped after the game and was like, Newport had nothing in the game. That just shows to me that that's a manager clearly under pressure. And I think he is feeling that. And I think it is intensifying with stuff that, you know, isn't necessarily his fault around him as well with Rashford and all these kind of other things off the field. But I think he is feeling the heat now. And again, it just wasn't convincing from United at all, but they, they got it done. And sometimes that's what you need to do in these games. 
Well, this is it. And I saw, you know, we were talking about a United win where you take it because it'll keep Ten Hag in the job for a week. Yeah. I was like, okay, we'll chalk this down to it keeps him there for a bit. But yeah, yeah, just the fact that like, and you have to give Newport credit, but just the fact that United did allow them back into the game and did switch off and did basically what I did, turned over and thought, well, this is done, right? The fact mm. that those players are capable of doing that and do that regularly is kind of sums up everything there. But Kieran, I'm going to go to you because I've, I, I could talk for hours about how much I hate this man, but Anthony had a goal and an assist and, and at the same time, one of the worst performances I've ever seen by a professional footballer. It was horrific. That performance. Like, did, what are your thoughts of him in general? Do you think I'm being harsh? I thought he was genuinely embarrassing. Some of the stuff he did yesterday. I, I, do not think you're being harsh at all. Basically, I think I, I um, good. I, you can come yeah, back. Yeah, yeah, I, I um, I think he's like not great at all. Really, it, I mean, there's the whole thing about you know when a player has that higher price tag, do we judge them too quickly? And I was thinking originally, like, okay, let's give him a bit of time. Let's see if he can sort of judge, not maybe not justify the price tag, but even just play, start doing a bit better. And he just. It's been over a year now, a year and a half, and he's not—he's really not shown any signs of improving at all, in my opinion. If anything, it might be getting worse. In, mm-hmm. And I just—I just—I—I I know that there's a lot of problems, sort of deep-rooted problems, with the club at United. But I don't see how a manager is sort of highly regarded before he moved to Manchester United, like Ten Hag is, can still be starting someone like Anthony in that team when you've got—you've clearly got some quality on the bench. You know, they had Ahmad Diallo on the bench yesterday, who I was expecting yeah. to play. Mm-hmm. And yet they still went with Anthony. And yeah, I just think, I, I, to be honest with you, I can't see him ever getting to the level that he should be at. Because I, I enjoyed watching him occasionally at Ajax, but I think it's a very different, it's a whole different kettle of fish when you're in the Premier League. So, mm-hmm. you know, and it, 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 the fact that they were playing against Newport and he didn't, he, as you say, he got golden assist, but really it wasn't a good performance at all from him. So mm-hmm. I think that tells you all you need to know, really. Yeah, I feel like I saw him give the ball away more than anything. And I felt yeah. like going back to Hoyland a little bit, like the, the frustration of having him and Garnacho on the wings must just be like <laughs> frigging hell. Just yeah. one of you lock up, will you? Um, but yeah, I thought it was absolutely horrific performance from him. But we need to talk about someone who wasn't there, unfortunately. Um I've heard Belfast is a great night out. I didn't think it was a popular hangout spot for professional footballers. I was expecting it more to be like, you know, Las Vegas or Dubai or something. But Ben, what is happening with Marcus Rashford? Do you think this is piling a bit more pressure on Ten Hag and he's pulling what hair out he has left at how to control this dressing room? Yeah, for sure. I think, again, I have some sympathy with him because, again, these things are kind of out of his control. But in the way he deals with it, I just find it so... Mm -hmm so strange because he sort of said in a press conference on Friday that he was ill and everybody knew everybody had sort of seen the rumors going around on Twitter everybody's seen the videos um and then he waited till Sunday to say it's an internal matter and we'll address it and it's like well there obviously is a problem there then so it's like why don't you just come and like either either say it or don't say anything because Mm -hmm. then you're just kind of opening the door to the fact that there is an issue and you are going to deal with it i.e you will probably punish him in some way Mm -hmm. obviously in terms of Rashford I don't really understand. I don't really know now where it. I don't think it's so much like the end for Rashford at United, but I don't really understand how he comes back from here because, or certainly gets anywhere near back to what we've seen. Mm-hmm. Because I, I even said it against against Tottenham, where he scored the goal and then started doing this as the celebration. It's like you've not 
shown anything near that kind of level that we've seen previously from Rashford three years ago, maybe, to warrant kind of silencing the doubters or the critics. Yeah, yeah. And doing this is only going to add more fuel to the fire. I've got no problem if players want to go out. And it's like players are human beings at the end of the day. I didn't quite agree with what Dion Dublin was sort of saying on, on the match of the day, I think, afterwards. Like sort of saying about how odd. you should yeah. just be going out with like your partner or your wife and out for a meal and that should be it. Because it's like footballers aren't robots. In the 70s, mm-hmm. 80s and 90s, that was a completely different culture. And players would be on the piss all the time and turn up and play on the Saturday. But the turning up and playing on the Saturday was the key part of it. Mm-hmm. And I think fans then fans haven't changed that much like fans bought into that kind of culture because footballers because they didn't earn as much money then were far more in touch with that with reality even though they did earn more money and they were Mm -hmm. heralded as these these kind of heroes but they felt far more in touch because they just acted like normal people but you knew if they turned up on a saturday and played then it would be fine and that was why people had far more respect for these players that used to go out and do that a lot more frequently um and it'd be the same now like you know people there isn't so much a kind of drinking or going out culture in football anymore, but we're not privy to absolutely everything. And we've seen examples with the likes of Jack Grealish and stuff. But as long as you turn up to training and you turn up to play the game, I don't think fans really care. I mm. certainly wouldn't. I wouldn't care. Unless, no, it, unless well, people like... Weekend. But you look at like people like Ronaldinho and Ronaldo or whatever. Of course, these are like elite talents, but they were not good professionals, right? Athletes, yeah, and people yeah. love them more almost because of that. I love the stories that come out about Ronaldinho just turning up for training straight from the nightclub or whatever. Because he, as yeah. you said, he still turned up and absolutely just killed everyone on a Saturday. Like, and it's just yeah, I feel I, I worry for Marcus Rashford and as you said, where he goes from here. Like, Kieran, do you think? Because it feels like he's had a few rebirths at United. He's been a very up-and-down player. Do you think this is like a straw that breaks the camel's back? Apparently, it's going to be 600 odd grand fine. Like, Do you think he can come back from this? I think him as a player, yes, I think he can come back from this. But I don't think that, that at Manchester United he can come mm-hmm. back from this. I think uh, I've seen enough of their fans sort of on Twitter saying, the vocal ones sort of saying, get him out sort of thing because yeah. if he's going to show full commitment as you said we're not expecting them to be robots and, and not go out or anything but as long as you play on the Saturday and I just think they're they're starting to lose their patience and obviously we saw even as even as close as literally last season the back end of last season Rashford was getting labelled as sort of world class and everything and, and yeah. we know we all know as football fans how good that man is at football mm-hmm. like, I've seen him like sort of take it around players, score goals, yeah. and just when he's playing with confidence, he's he's one of the best left wingers in the league. Mm-hmm. And I just, yeah, I think his United, his Manchester United career could be over in terms of getting back to those levels. It'll be interesting to see where this goes because I think if they do take him back. And if they do say, right, we're going to give you another chance, it's kind of like this new ownership is almost off to the same start that the other ownership has been off of just letting people off and be like, ah, no, but you're a Manchester lad, so, you know, we'll just let you, we'll bring you back. I think this is like a big moment for them. I know there's been a few of them over the past few seasons with Ronaldo, et cetera, but this feels like a big moment for them to be like, no, this is a chance to put a marker down and be like, this isn't good enough. Um, but... I don't know. It, it, even with the Sancho situation and everything, it all just seems so messy. Messy the man management and stuff in that club. You don't know what's going to come out if he does leave and what the what this situation is behind behind the scenes. So we'll see. But I just hope we see Marcus Rashford back to 
is brilliant best. Like because again, as you said, he's a pleasure to watch when he's firing on all cylinders. Um and he scores he always scores against Arsenal and he has an absolute knack <laughs> for doing it. Um but kind of glad that he's not doing it against us now. Um but we're gonna leave there. Um Newport, sorry sorry Newport fans, we didn't really get much time to talk about you, but we were very impressed and you're unlucky. Um the first goal in particular was fantastic. Really like that Swan performance. He was very good. Um we're gonna have to go to the kind of annoying dark days story um of the weekend. Um I don't want to get too hand ringy, but 38 minutes, uh, the game was postponed because there was um, away fans in the home end openly celebrating and it caused fights. Um, there was a man with blood pissing from his head and all sorts. Um, Kyle Bartley having to get his family out of the stand. Just not scenes you want to see. Um, and it just felt like, I think this is the first time I've seen something like that on British TV in my football watching lifetime the only time i've seen things like this are from the 80s from before i was born like was the the, the Luton riots that were really famous like the football ground i can't remember um there was a few others it but ben it felt like a bit of a, a bit of a worrying sign do you think because england like we obviously had a huge problem in the past now we're not saying it's endemic but it's not a good thing to see yeah it was a throwback but not necessarily a good one mm-hmm. and i think it i think a lot of the kind of obviously there's been there hasn't there's been a bit of a blame game kind of going on i think my the my issue with it is that how our home team and it's not just this isn't just happening at at west Mm -hmm. brom for this particular game but i really don't understand this whole thing of how away fans are being able to get tickets in home ends at grounds in Mm -hmm. this day and age when there's so much more kind of security given around tickets and digital tickets and all that kind of stuff i've seen it at spurs loads of times i've seen it in european games i've had when we played Red Star Belgrade in the Champions League, and it's like there's Red Star fans all around the ground. It's like, how is this kind of, how is this happening? And for a derby of this magnitude, I understand why everybody's so desperate to get a ticket and they've not played each other in front of fans for, I think, 12 years, I think it was, since they were both last in the prep. Um, And I think it's one of those things where, obviously, you don't like to see those kind of scenes at all. But if if you're an away fan in the home end of a ground, how stupid have you got to be? So, because apparently, from what there's been so many kind of rumors going around of what actually happened, I saw a TikTok from Tom Garrett, who obviously is a West Brom fan, and he, West Brom fan, he was at the game, and he was saying where he was sat was actually really near where it all kicked off, and he said what happened was when Cunha scored that goal, the there was one Wolves fan on his own in that end, and he basically stood up on his chair and started going all like this and started kind of giving it the big end, and then all of a sudden, all you knew there was. 10 20 yeah. fans just all around him just beating the shit out of him basically and then the um all the stewards got involved they started protecting him then west brom fans came from other areas of the ground running across the pitch to that corner and the problem was it was the friends and family stand so that's mm-hmm. why cole bartley went and got his kids and his wife out of there and then didn't come back on i think there was also like the front row of it is also like yeah. where where wheelchair fans would have been as with disabled fans would have been as well so that just kind of adds to the ugliness of it all as well and then i think because fans what he was saying was where fans were coming from other running across the pitch to get to there just being really stupid mm-hmm. because they were never able to get into the crowd they were just lobbing stuff lobbing, lobbing lighters coins and that kind of stuff so then kids and whoever else was getting hit with it and it's just not stuff you want to see and then because all of the police were down the other end of the ground because that's where the away fans were in that all in that one yeah, end yeah, yeah. There was no police really down that end. So then they all rushed over from to that corner. And then because they'd all come over from there, 
it then all started kicking off at the other end of the ground because of the lack of police presence, which is then where that guy who we've all seen with the bloody head, that that wasn't actually in that bit. It was over the other side of the ground. Okay. Apparently. Right, right, and apparently that was because he was kicking off with the police. So that's how that came about, apparently. But it's just it's just ridiculous. I just think I think there's so many there's there's so many problems to it, and it's it's mm. an it was an ugly day for football because it kind of just makes you think that you know I like obviously I don't have kids, but I want I can't wait to take my children when I have them to to Spurs and stuff like that. And you never want to be in that situation, mm. and it's kind of it's obviously very scary. And football's come a long way. That's why we have all seated stadiums and all that kind of thing now because of you know in the 80s I was talking to my stepdad earlier. It was like in the 80s and 90s or 70s and 80s like this was this this sort of stuff happened every week but never make the news because it was just football hooligans you know mm. that's how they acted but I think you've got to be very very naive to think that an away fan in the home end on his own given it that big was never going to end in, mm-hmm. in it was never going to end well was it um yeah I but, think because yeah, I've I've watched games as an away fan in the home end and it is all I can do to just show zero expression. <laughs> like, just, yeah, like, it, yeah. if, if we concede a goal, just be like, hey, and just crying inside or whatever. I think it yeah. takes a special kind of knobhead or a certain amount of um, gear to make you believe that you can kind of take on a whole stand, which is another oh, yeah. issue within football stadiums in the UK as well, I think. Um, but we should talk about the football, I suppose. Um, Kieran, I, I was quite impressed with West Brom, to be honest. I thought they were pretty decent. It was just that Wolves had a little bit more cutting edge. Like when, when you've got players like Neto and Cunha, they're going to have the, the, te- the say in the end, aren't they? Yeah, I think I've watched, uh, as a championship fan myself, I've watched quite a lot of West Brom this season. And they have actually been under, since they got Corbyn, which is like mm-hmm. about this time last year, roughly. Uh, they've looked a completely different team in like uh, the likes of Jed Wallace. They've got John Swift. They've got a really, like, they've got a really strong team and they're looking like they could get a playoff spot. Mm-hmm. Um, and they, I think they, they were a good, really good sort of advert for the championship this season because they, they didn't look... I wouldn't say they looked a league below Wolves. I would say that you could tell with the likes of Mateusz Cunha um, and Pedro Neto, I think you can tell that those players are a cut above the West Brom players. But I didn't think that it looked like a team that were a league lower than Wolves, personally. But yeah, Yeah, yeah. um, Cunha's goal was great. Great finish. Mm. It was was a great finish. I I really like him as a player. I'm happy because he had a bit of a dodgy patch at Atletico where he was before, right? And it's good to see him kind of um, hitting his strides at Wolves. I really like Corbran as a manager. I think everywhere he's done, everywhere he's gone, he's done a pretty solid job. Um, But for Wolves now, Ben, this is increasingly becoming a very good season. They're still like that that mid-table spot in the Premier League is very close. They could really make this a very special season with a cup run as well. Like it's good to see for Gary O'Neill. Yeah, for sure. You could actually kind of picture them being one of the teams that makes it to to Wembley for the semi-finals. Mm-hmm. Obviously, it depends how the draw goes. I can't remember who they've got in the next round. Um, but it, f- um, it feels it, it, it's been a, yeah, it's been a really really good season for them. We've talked about Gary O'Neill a hell of a lot on here, and it feels like he. Although, even though we've spoke about his time at Bournemouth and why they were right to let him go and move on, it's, he's found his home at Wolves. And I think the mm. fans have massively bought into him as a character, his style of play as well. He has got real quality in that squad, like real, real quality. Matthias Cunha and Pedro Neto are just two examples. Lamina, I just think, obviously, he's 
I was not there, but he's he's been outstanding. I Nori as well. They've got they've got real real quality throughout that squad. Um, mm-hmm. Holes in it as well that need to kind of be filled and added to. And obviously with Wolves, the fear is that with their financial kind of situation that some of these players probably will get picked off. Um, I really like Bellegarde as well. He's been really, yeah. really good. Um, but there's, yeah, there kind of always is that fear that they might have to sell to be able to move on. And obviously that means that maybe someone like Neto could move on in the summer. Mm-hmm. But he feels like he's been linked away every year for the past few anyway. So yeah, it's nothing yeah. new to them. And I think they'll just get their heads down and get on with it. And um, they've got real, real quality, a real kind of, style of play two really good goals at the weekend as well there was that that's one of the brilliant satisfying things about football as well when um on the wolves counter-attack when i think the sh- initial shot was blocked or i think they made a tack on the edge of the box and all the west brom fans did the way and then Pedro <laughs> yeah. just put it in the bottom corner it was like <laughs> yeah. it was that was that was brilliant but um yeah wolves have, it's hard to say i was gonna was thinking oh, they're kind of going under the radar but they're not they're definitely they could finish in the top half i, I think mm-hmm. european football might be too much of a push for them they've got united on thursday um which i think at home you'd fancy them to win that yeah. game yeah yeah and they can make a kind of real push i think they're unbeaten in their last five or six games yeah, yeah. and not conceding many either so yeah they've, they've had a really good season i could sort of, like i said i could sort of see them getting quite far in the cup mm-hmm. they've done quite well in the fa cup in the past I remember they got to semis against they lost yeah. to watford i remember that yeah, was going back yeah, quite a while yeah. now um and they, they were yeah. yeah, they were two 0 up, and I think Watford sort of made that comeback. But yeah, they've been yeah, they've yeah. been there, you know. And I feel like they, there's no reason why they can't do that again. So it's a pretty exciting season for them. They love Gary O'Neill. They love a lot of the players, and I think yeah, they're flying. No, absolutely. Yeah, it's great to see. Great to see they have Brighton at home in the next round. So definitely a game. The last game was absolutely terrible. So hopefully it'd be better than that. But yeah, yeah a game, bad. a game that they'll definitely feel like they can get through. Um, so that is fantastic. But Ben, we're going to have to. We've been holding it off long enough. Um, I genuinely was annoyed when City scored, even though it was against Spurs. I was like, oh, for God's sake, is no one going to stop? Is no one going to do anything about this team? They finally scored at your ground. That that hoodoo is over. Um, but it took, what was it, the 80? It was, it was pretty late on. Yeah, Nathan Ake getting the goal. And yeah, what were your impressions of the game? Yeah, go. Uh, it, was, it, was a, it was an odd one. It was, I thought... Um, there were some areas of the pitch that Spurs we kind of gave as good as we got. I thought our defence was as outstanding as you can be against Man City for the movement and attacking kind of intelligence they've got and the quality they've got. I thought um, there were some really outstanding performances from Van der Ven, Adogi. I thought Hoybe had a really solid game. Um, but I think City's quality just kind of showed that we're not we're nowhere near that level yet. And that's kind of to be expected. I think from minute one, they kind of got control of the football, which again nothing that you wouldn't necessarily expect i just don't think we necessarily had that quality in the final third to make the chances that we did have count because there were a few times in the first half where we broke through their press press played through the midfield really nicely um and find ourselves found ourselves in good positions wide to get the ball in the box and the final delivery wasn't good enough and all those kind of things and um it was just one of those nights where you can't be too disappointed i think it's it's more it's one of those ones where you'd rather lose. If you're going to lose like that, you'd rather lose to Kevin De Bruyne just putting it in the top corner from 25 yards or something. You wouldn't want to lose to that kind of goal. I didn't yeah. really think it was a foul. I don't think. I kind of think no. it's a, it's a talking point, but it's not. You know, I don't feel necessarily hard done by by that. I think again, it's more just the inconsistency around yeah. those ones for me. I don't have a problem with it, uh, but it is what it is. But 
I thought that it's plenty of the, I think there was a as always on football Twitter and especially with Spurs Twitter, which has become even more of a cesspit recently, there was a bit of an overreaction to it. Um but I thought yeah, I thought there were some areas of the pitch we gave as good as we got, but unfortunately just weren't quite good enough. I thought for City Foden was outstanding again. I think he's somehow again, I don't know how many times we can say that he's kind of going under the radar a bit this season and that's having a quietly outstanding year. Mm-hmm. But he was just excellent. When you watch him, I was just um in that first half when City were attacking the South Stand where I was stood and you're just watching him just float about, pick up these pockets. His first touch is a joke, like an mm-hmm. absolute joke. He's got so much quality. I thought Oscar Bob was really good as well. Uh, he was quite unlucky with that goal, really. It was offside, but it was one of those yeah, that yeah. was marginal. He was really impressive. He feels like almost Foden, you know, a potential heir to Foden almost, even mm-hmm. though Foden's still so young, quite similar in styles of play. So fleet of foot, just so delicate on the ball, just fan- first touch, immaculate. Rodri was excellent the way he just commanded the game. I thought Kovacic, that was the best I've seen him play for City. Yeah. Probably for a long time, if not the best game he's ever had for them so far this season since he's been there. Um, and yeah, it, City deserves to go through. We did have chances, but we just couldn't make him count. And I, I don't I don't have any grumbles with it. It's disappointing to be out of the cup, but I think we've, we've got a good chance to kind of build some momentum in the league now with players coming back as well. I think, I do think if, and I don't want to make it about injuries, because we've talked about so much with Spurs, but I think if we did have maybe a Son just to give us, because it felt a little bit too for us up front, and it wasn't even for Richardson. I thought Richardson put himself about really, really well. Um, Thought his off-the-ball game was great, again, as it has been this season, certainly since he had surgery. Looks to be moving a lot more free. I just didn't get any service. Um, I thought Werner made a number of really, really good runs off the ball, especially in the first half, that just weren't picked up by Kulusevski or a doggy down that side. I think, again, with that, I think, Doggy and him haven't played two games together, yeah, so that relationship yeah. just isn't quite there yet. And obviously, Werner—that's that's Werner's bread and butter. It's like that is what he's excellent at. His movement off the ball is superb. So that was when you've got a limited player like that, you want to be getting the best out of him. So mm-hmm. it's frustrating when you're not picking him out in those uh, yeah, opportunities. Yeah. He created one really, really good chance as well. I thought Werner was actually okay. He created that chance for Johnson where he could have maybe gone round the keeper or. Or cut it back. Real bit of quality from him. I thought Kulusevski. That was probably his worst game in a I while. Was, I was. Yeah, I thought it really wasn't poor. a great performance from him. I saw him like turning, turning back towards his own goal quite a lot and kind of running into <laughs> corners a little bit. Yeah. I felt like he wasn't quite at his free flowing best. Yeah, um, I think with the nature of the player that he kind of is. Obviously, I think I love him and I, all the Spurs fans love him. And I think a lot of people who watch, you know, a lot of football don't sort of have a kind of a lazy take that a lot of people do have on Kulusevski yeah, just because yeah. he's not quick and he's not that agile. But sometimes in those kind of games, those, not flaws, but those downsides to his games are are highlighted a bit. And it just looked from the first minute or so that it was just going to be one of those games where his first touch wasn't, it just didn't happen for him at all. Like it just was one of the, it was one of them for him. And it felt like one of those games for a few players. I've spent the week kind of banging the drum for Rodrigo Bentoncourt on TikTok and Twitter. And uh, <laughs> he had a really sloppy game as well. He was just like... But Classic. The, it's the always yeah, 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 yeah. It's always, I honestly. The second you're on big, this pod, whatever um, you say, the opposite happens. Yeah, it's, it's exactly. Except that now. Except yeah. that. Like. His, yeah, his passing was just a bit sloppy. But I think it was just... It was just... Yeah. Sometimes you need your bigger... In those sorts of games, you need to be perfect or lucky mm. against yeah. City. And being perfect requires your best players to kind of have, especially on the ball. Because like I said, I thought the defence was outstanding into the way they defended. But Romero and Porro, 
for their good defensive work weren't quite as snappy and as precise as they've been on the ball. A lot of under-hit passes out from the back. Benson called the same, giving the ball away. So those kind of things. So it was just, it was one of them disappointing, but you just have to, we move, as we said earlier. (laughs) Exactly, exactly. And for City, just another win, isn't it? They're slowly, and Holland still has to come back. Like Kieran, he's still, we're still, it feels, it feels like it's just rumbling like the boulder behind you. It's slowly getting closer. It's, they're, they're clicking into gear, aren't they? Yeah, and I mean, I saw Pep said it was either either before or after the top game. I think it was before. Uh, he said our season starts today or something like that, something along those lines. And it's like, it, you just, you just, they looked, they looked the other day against Tottenham like they weren't missing a thirty goal a season mm-hmm. striker. Do you know what I mean? They, they just, they just create so many chances. Mm-hmm. And with with Harlem back in that team, they're just gonna, they're just gonna be so scary. Uh, to the rest of the league, and I mean, Haaland is gonna. I think he'll still win the Golden Boot, even though he's had this time out. I think he's just gonna, he's just gonna come back, and he will just finish those chances that the likes of he's got Bernardo Silva on top form, Foden on top form, Kevin De Bruyne getting back to top form, yeah. and then when you've got a striker like Haaland, they are just gonna. I I think they're gonna win the league comfortably. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, we'll wait and see. Well, this is it, and he's still. I think he's still joint top scorer in the Premier League. He's been yeah. out for ages, right? Yeah. Like it's yeah, mental. Yeah. It is. Yeah. It is <laughs> utterly mental. Uh, utterly mental. But we're going to leave the FA Cup there. I think elsewhere, Luton got another win at Goodison Park, um, which was very impressive. A quietly very good season for them. Liverpool. David Wagner did Klopp a very huge favour by playing open football against them. <laughs> Liverpool won five two. Newcastle got through against Fulham. And Blackburn Rovers are currently beating Wrexham 4-1. That kind of cheers me up a little bit because I'm bitter like that. Oh, and Brighton battered Sheffield United. João Pedro also having an incredible season yeah. for Brighton. I was really sceptical of that season, of that signing when he came across, but he has been unbelievable this year. Um, so let's move over to Serie A, I suppose. It's time to talk about the Scudetto race and all things Calcio. And we're going to start with... Lautaro, is he the best Serie A striker in a generation? He is currently on 19 goals this season. Osimhen got 26 all in all last year in that incredible season he had. Lautaro is definitely on form to beat that uh, to beat that number easily. Um, I think he's on a goal a game at this point. Um, ben, that was just a really composed, beautiful header. And again, another vital win in a game that Inter weren't incredibly impressive going forward defensively we'll talk about it but Lautaro the form he's been in it's incredible right yeah there's something so satisfying I was talking to my mate about this the other day with actually I think it was the Norwich equaliser about Mm -hmm. there's something so satisfying about those sort of near uh, near post flick on header goals from corners Um, but the power that Lautaro got on that from that sort of position um, was incredible to beat the keeper at his near post he's just I think to kind of the outside world, kind of outside of Serie A at least, I do think people have been very sceptical of um, him for a while because of, I think we talked about this before, but his performances at the World Cup and maybe sometimes his performance in the Champions League not standing up to what he's done domestically. But he's an incredible striker. You don't score that many goals for Inter. Um, and like you said, like you kind of posed the question, he could well be the best striker we've seen in Serie A for a long, long Five time. Kind of years, he's, six years, maybe. Yeah, I'm trying to think. Like because with Osman, I, I always feel like with Osman, as incredible as he is, you never felt like he was going to kind of have that lasting 
he he has got a lasting legacy now because of what they achieved last season. But in terms of longevity, mm-hmm. domestically, I don't feel like he will never have that. Mm-hmm. Like uh, Lautaro will at Inter, and you kind of feel like Lautaro is almost more that kind of cult, symbolistic player for Inter Milan. He's kind of become a version of a player that they have had so many times in the past. Maybe like you think about Melito and players that they've kind of had since then, especially with strikers. Mm-hmm. They've kind of always had this cult sort of figure, especially as the captain as well, that they've put on this pedestal. And yeah, I think he is just, he's an incredibly well-rounded striker. We've seen him be able to play in a strike partnership up front in his own, kind of lead that line, all different types of finishes. And again, going away from home against a side like Fiorentina who aren't in great form and aren't playing that well. They made it very difficult for Inter, but he they found a way and he somehow manages to squeeze out another goal from a very tight angle or not necessarily tight angle, but a very difficult chance yeah. that he made look very, very easy. And he's just, he's an incredible, incredible striker that I think would be far more suited to the Premier League than I think a lot of fans who do give him that, that stick that I was talking about before give mm. credit for because I think he's kind of got, he almost reminds me a bit of um, Tevez like what we used to see with Tevez when he first went to City. Yeah, Not yeah. so much of how he played at United, but he's just got that movement, the drop of the shoulder, finishing in both corners, high and low, just headers as well. Like He's just a very, very well-rounded striker. And I think he's only getting better as well. So it's great to kind of see him tearing it up, consistently proving doubt is wrong. And that was a really, really important win for Inter, I think. Yeah, it's massive. It's massive. And it looks like, I think he, if he hasn't already, he's due to sign an, a contract extension um, because he's he is very, very, very happy in Milan. He's got his restaurant here. He's got yeah. his home here. And I think he's like absolutely loving it. But Kieran, where do you rank him amongst Europe's top strikers? Because I feel like people aren't talking about him because he's not going to move. Like he's mm-hmm. not leaving. So nobody's talking about him. But where do you rank it? Do you think he is like within that kind of Haaland, Osimhen kind of group of strikers? I think the thing is, people like sort of English fans are often only really considering sort of Premier League and maybe mm-hmm. a bit of sort of La Liga strikers. But I think when you actually look at it, as you as Ben said a minute ago, he's so well rounded. There's not anything in his game that he can't do. And I just, I would to answer your question, I think he is like in that caliber of Haaland, Kane, Osham, and them mm-hmm. in on those levels. Because I and I think it, I really don't think he gets spoken about enough in as high regard as he should be because he's got it all. And that I think that goal um, on the weekend, yet last night, really showed what he can do Like with his head. He's also an insane dribbler. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's, I think he's just like this season, if you look at his goals, he's got a real sort of vast catalogue of the, the types of goals that he can score. Mm-hmm. So I, I would have him, I really rate him. And I think he might be the best striker in Serie, in Serie A. For a, for a while, um, mm-hmm. I can't remember the last time we saw someone as good. Maybe Melito or yeah. I was trying to think. I think Icardi didn't hit those numbers, but he was dominating Serie A for like one or two seasons. I think I was trying to think like maybe Ronaldo at Juve. You have to say, even though he's not he's not a striker, but I don't think yeah. there's been that standout season beyond that like uh, like Lautaro's having at the moment, and he's done it semi-consistently. He had, a, he had a decent season last year. This year, he's really, really kicked on and is obviously dragging into there. I think, like, it, giving him the captain's armband was inspired because he clearly absolutely thrives off it. Um, and But, Kieran, I'm going to go to you for a bit of, like, because Inter's um, transfer business... Now, this win was founded on Jan Sommer and Benjamin Pavard, two signings that I think have had the most impact for how much money they've spent. 
like Inter again, it looks like they're getting Zielinski. They're still getting those free signings. How impressed have you been with Inter's um, transfer business in general? And their defence this year, I feel, has really taken a step up. Yeah, I completely agree. I think, um, as you say, I mean, summer for me is maybe... I was I was actually speaking to my mate about this last night. I said, I genuinely believe he might be the most underrated goalkeeper <laughs> in our whole generation. He really, really doesn't get spoke about enough. Mm-hmm. In that, I, forget, I mentioned Gladbach, he was at before, and he was just... He was just insane. Like some of the saves he pulls off on a weekly basis, I am mm-hmm. like I'm just amazed by. And I think he is a he is a great signing. And yeah, I, I can't really praise him enough because I do genuinely believe he uh, certainly at one point I, I think he's world class goalkeeper. Mm-hmm. I know I I get annoyed at people saying world class for everyone. <laughs> for every every single player is apparently world class, but I do genuinely believe yeah. he is in that top top mm-hmm. band of goalkeepers. Um, and yeah, the, like for me, he's so underrated. So I think mm-hmm. he's a great sign. And then Pavard really, I think also, again, really sort of stabilises the defence. And obviously the whole thing of sort of having a like player with the amount of experience that he's got, World Cup winner, um, he's just an incredible player to have in the camp as well as on the pitch. Mm-hmm. And yeah, so I think, I think you can't really fall, especially as like with the free transfers as well, they, you can't really fall what uh, Inter have done and they've I do believe they're going to win the league uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. we'll see because we'll see, obviously Juve could get they're still there they will be there they will be up there but I mean I just think yeah Inter look like the best team in the league right now and from top to bottom they do they do just have a really good squad I think yeah, we absolutely love to see it. I'm honestly surprised nobody else came in for Pavard. Like when they signed him, I was like, wow, that seems like someone's really let it go, let it slip through their fingers there. And I think he's had a bit of a stop start season because they've not really had a settled defense at any real point. There's been DeVry in and out, there's been injuries. But every time he's come in, he just looks super, super assured. And as you said, with the experience, just completely shores it up. I think Fiorentina played pretty well. Like until Lautaro got the goal, I think they had the better start. They had a few offsides called. They were getting through Inter's midfield and causing them problems. But yeah, into just riding through these games and getting the results. Um, but Ben, how bad was the Gonzalez penalty? I know Sommer saved it, but that was a bloody terrible penalty. Yeah, really, really poor, really poor. I don't like. It's one of those ones where you just kind of word almost like fail you. Just like you've kind of seen that so many times, and it's your worst kind of nightmare. I thought Sommer was a little bit. It's, we again, like with the actual penalty in itself. The obviously we're kind of crossing leagues here, but. You've seen like where he's come out for that. It probably is a penalty, but again, we've kind of seen like different, like different examples of that not be given. We've talked about the Anana example, obviously ironic that it being Anana at the start of the season, come for the ball, not get it, take the man out, no penalty. That one he had a right to go for it, but I think there's kind of clear yeah. contact. But then to, I would find it with like it, it's always going to look worse as well if you sort of do that little mini stop and he sort of had that long run up and he just, and again. I, I have a little bit of sympathy because it's like if that goes in the other corner and he just rolls it in, then it's like, oh, what composure. But he's just got it wrong. And yeah, yeah it kind of it felt like one of those games where everything that went Sommer's way, he was going to keep it out of the back of the net anyway. So, yeah, it's it's tr- it's tricky with those kind of ones because, like I said, if he goes the other way, it's like, oh, great composure in such a key moment. But he's got it wrong and it was a really, really easy save. 
It looked it looked embarrassing. But Adam is popping up with Beppe Marotta, of course, is a mastermind at transfer business. But credit to Inzaghi for getting the best out of these players. Now, I'm going to kind of put you both on the spot here. Now, obviously, there's some major departures coming at the end of the season. Um, some more welcome than others. I think I don't think Barcelona fans are particularly sad to see Xavi go. Some no. Liverpool fans are having nervous breakdowns. But do we think that Inzaghi is being ignored here? Because I think if he wins the Scudetto with Inter, which, as we said, we think is likely without jinxing it, do you think he should be getting linked to more of these jobs? Like, Kieran, I'll go for you first. Because I think a club like Liverpool or Barcelona could do a hell of a lot worse. The progress he's made with this Inter team has been incredible. Yeah, I, I completely agree. I mean, the, the name that's being thrown around, obviously, the most for Liverpool is Xabi Alonso at the moment. Mm -hmm. And obviously, I completely understand that. I mean, of course, you would never have said with Bayern getting Kane, it was like putting Mentos in Diet Coke, really, for the <laughs> Bundesliga title race. You, you think like uh, they they were they, like they should have like walked the league. And the way Xabi Alonso's Leverkusen are playing is like incredible. Mm -hmm. But like you say, I do I do genuinely think that Inzaghi's name should be be mentioned at least because I I. I do believe he could do it. He could do a great job at either Barcelona or Liverpool. And I think mm -hmm. you need you need a manager at both of those institutions who knows how to be. I know they both have like sort of big budgets and everything, but they they Liverpool for like Liverpool is the main example. They don't necessarily always spend as much as the Chelsea's, mm -hmm. the, the Man Cities. So I think being like getting the best out of some like cheaper players and some more experienced players would really benefit Liverpool uh, mm -hmm. in particular. So I think, I, I don't think it'd be a bad shout at all to, for them to get in Zaggy. Yeah, I think, but Ben, why do you think it is he's being, he's being ignored a little bit? Do you think it's because it's early yeah, Do you think it's because he doesn't really seem like he wants to go anywhere? Maybe we're causing problems where there isn't one, but why do you think he's kind of being overlooked? I think there's an element of that for sure, in the sense that I do people, I do think people see sort of Serie A and there is this perception in England that it's not the league it used to be and all this kind of stuff. And I do think that massively kind of clouds people's judgment because Inzaghi has got the Champions League credentials as well. And we've spoken about this many times in the sense that I feel that they could go deep in the Champions League again this year. And if he does that again, then why shouldn't he be on these kind of lists? Because I do feel like sometimes people from the outside need this, kind of have this idea that, especially with Mourinho gone now as well, like, if there's not a Conte or not a Mourinho in Serie A, and bear in mind how kind of poor Conte's record has been, mm -hmm. uh, or certainly not necessarily his record at Tottenham, but how poor he was in that second half of the season, how much he's fallen off. That's not necessarily done much to kind of help those kind of attitudes towards managers coming over from Serie A. But they're two completely different styles. He's a younger manager who has got an inter-team competing with the best of the best in the Champions League. Yes, their run was maybe a little bit favourable last year, but they got to the final and gave you know a good go of it against Man City. And they could do that again this year. They're playing brilliant football. Mm -hmm. They're the, clearly the best team in the league, although I think Juventus, you know, I, I, I think Inter, like Kieran said, I do think Inter will win the league. But in terms of pound for pound best football and how smart they've been with their business, although that's not necessarily down to Inzaghi, yeah. they're an excellent team. Like So well-balanced, so well-rounded, so solid at the back. Um, but I d and also it's interesting because I do feel like when you said that I hadn't given it much thought in terms of Liverpool or Barca but it, it feels like with what Liverpool have had with Klopp they don't want a Klopp 2.0 mm -hmm. they don't need that they need kind of someone who's a bit younger a bit fresher to come in 
but you kind of still want that kind of statesman style manager. And I do think Inzaghi, with what he's built at Inter and the kind of relationship that he has with the fans there, why can't he do that at Liverpool? Mm-hmm. It feels a better fit for Barca, but then it's like with Barca, you're just walking into a shit show and it's like... I don't know who's going to join It's Barca. not a good move, is it? Yeah, it's <laughs> yeah. not like... Because you know, I, feel, I feel like if Inzaghi went to Liverpool and he did okay, but it didn't quite work out, there's still room for him to move elsewhere. Whereas mm-hmm. like, I feel like if you went to Barcelona with although they've got some incredibly exciting players and I would be very interested to see what he could do how is that going to help him move on his managerial career so I feel like it's definitely I don't see it but like I definitely don't see why he shouldn't be or sorry I don't see why he shouldn't be on these lists for sure like I just don't it feels a bit bizarre to me that he's not been in any of the conversations because of how well he's done with his team this is it and I think I'm not even saying he's going to go I just think as you said he should be people should be recognising that he's in that group and I think maybe it's because he's the less fashionable of the brothers sorry Simone maybe it's because his playing career wasn't as outstanding as Filippo's but you have to look at like the job he did at Lazio as well like getting them back into the Champions League winning winning, um, a few cups with them winning the Supercoppa with them and winning the Coppa Italia I think like he got a few cups with them he did an incredible job at Lazio and I think this is again just him taking a huge huge step and is and it's just I'm so impressed the football they play is just incredible and yeah we like you Simone even if no one else yeah. is looking at you we've got a lot of time for you um but we're going to go across the city I suppose um I'm going to talk about the team in Milan having a bit less fun um they managed to miss two penalties and give up a two goal lead um two all it ended Orsolini getting an equalizer in the 900th minute whatever it was um Milan just do not have a cutting edge, but we need to talk here and about Ruben Loftus-Cheek. Um, I've been saying this whole season, if he can have a run of form and if he can stay fit, this guy will be fantastic. He's now got a few goals in the last few games. It's good to see him doing well, right? Oh, brilliant. I, I, I've I, always rated him as a player. I thought he was sort of in a, like a bit of an awkward situation at Chelsea where he was sort of not really breaking into the first team and then when he was in the first team there was sort of too much weight on his shoulders I felt like because they were in a bit of a time of a transitional period but I think at Fulham there was always a player there and as we've seen now he's gone to AC Milan and clearly he is like fulfilling his potential and like obviously with with a brace yesterday that's just incredible and I, I think well I hope like you I hope he can go on a on a great run of form because it Clearly, I think, has he got like, is it six goals in eight or mm-hmm. something like that? He's on, he's on a run now. He's on a run. I think that it's around six goals in eight. And obviously, from his position, it like from central midfield, it's a very impressive, um, very impressive record he's got. And yeah, I think, I think it's great to see a player, as an English fan, it's great to see a player come over when they've been sort of struggling in the Premier League and then come over to Serie A and really sort of come into their own. And he's, he's, he was always had the talent to be. Uh, great and like the now he's we're seeing the best of him I think mm-hmm. yeah it's fantastic to see him um, hitting the stripes because Milan are struggling for players in good form really they've been quite fortunate that there's a bit of a gap between them and fourth like the fact <laughs> that there's 10 points between them and Atlanta, Atlanta in third and fourth means that they can be forgiven a few sins like they can have a slip like this and it's not going to cost them um but Ben, this is kind of... I know they've they've just come off four wins in a row, to be fair, in the league. Like, they're not doing badly. But 
it does point to a wider issue with Milan that they are still relying on, as much as we love him, Olivier Giroud, to get you through and score a 20-odd goals a season. They still just don't quite have that cutting edge, do they? No, it feels like, obviously, it's the complete opposite of what we've been talking about with Martinez mm-hmm. uh, Inter. Although Giroud is, you know, is one of the best strikers or most underrated strikers, certainly of his generation, in my opinion. Um, and I do think he suits the way that Milan play really well in terms of being able to bring the wide players in. His first touch is still just immaculate, still a great finisher. But, you know, it's not, it's going to be, it's going to be a problem that they, it, well, it's a problem that it feels like they just sort of keep putting off dealing with. Mm-hmm. Um, and maybe it feels like potentially if they were to raise funds through selling one of their other players, whether it's a big, cl- a bigger club comes in for Liao in the summer mm-hmm. and they use that money to kind of reinvest it into that forward line, whether that's spent solely on another striker or not, I don't know, or whether they just kind of revamp the whole front line. But it's, you know, it's, there's a ticking, it's a ticking kind of, kind of time bomb for Milan to address that issue. It's, it's working fine for now. But in these sorts of games where you do kind of fail to convert these kind of chances and all this kind of stuff, and it will come back to bite you. But I think it's an interesting point you say about Loftus Cheek because I think what was really good about that first goal in particular, and I think what plays into Giroud's game as well, is being able to, Giroud's movement, being able to take other players out of the way for midfielders to run. We saw that a lot at Chelsea and we see that at a lot at Arsenal as well mm-hmm. about his kind of movement, bringing other players into play, leaving the gaps for someone like Loftus Cheek, who we know has kind of got that presence in the box as well to run in and and finish really well. It's such intelligent movement. So I think what... Uh, it's Yeah, it's a tricky one to balance because he does... He still brings so much to this Milan side, Giroud, but it's just... It's a problem that they are going to have to deal with. And it feels like you're better off just ripping the, ripping the plaster off sooner rather than later and going big for another striker. And I thought we saw a really good performance from Xerxes as well up on the other... On the other end of the pitch as yeah. well, I thought he could potentially be someone um, that they could potentially look to as well with his kind of game um, in the way that he brings other players in. Great composure in the box. Um, he's got a long way to go in terms of developing his game for sure, but it feels like Milan is quite a good step up, I think, to yeah. do that. Go and be the man there. Um, obviously, Bayern Munich will have something to say about that, but yeah, I think um, yeah, it's an interesting conundrum with Giroud. It's just because he. I wouldn't say he gives and takes away with equal measure, but it's yeah, it's a problem that they need to address. I think, even though he's still very, very good. Yeah, well, having watched him for years at Arsenal, he's very, he's he's beautiful. He scored some of the best goals and most beautiful goals I've ever seen. But he's also incredibly frustrating for ninety percent <laughs> of the time and goes on mad runs of just not scoring. Um, so yeah, it's definitely. Um, definitely up in the air but as Adam has just said uh, Noah Okafor will definitely come good as well he's getting a few runs a few a few kind of goals this season but we need to talk about Rafa Liao he's only scored six goals and got six assists this season in all competitions it now Liao has always been streaky he's always been a player that can annoy you but Kieran it feels like his head has fully been turned at this point there's been one or two too many rumors linking him to the big clubs and he definitely looks a little bit disinterested right yeah, I would. Yeah, I do agree. Um, I think he's still, as you say, you can still see glimpses of what we saw last season, and I think his like pace and dribbling and everything, like his his physical abilities, are just incredible. Um, but 
yeah, I do think when when the likes of you know like PSG and all those sort of those, I know AC Milan are a massive club, but mm-hmm. like those those clubs that are going to be sort of competing for Champions Leagues and competing for league titles every year, it it would sort of I I can understand where why his head's being turned, but at the same time, I mean, we we as Serie A fans, we want to see him at the best of his game. Um, but yeah, I I do think he doesn't look the same player at the moment. Mm-hmm. I mean, I still I still really enjoy watching him because I think talent wise, he's in the conversation for the best player in the league. Mm-hmm. But yeah, as you say, six goals and six assists, it's, it's an okay return. But based on what we know, Rafael Leal can do. It's not quite up to scratch, really, is it? And I think, yeah, I, I, I think we can we can expect. Hopefully, it will improve for the rest of the season because obviously mm-hmm. Milan, Milan needs to start picking up these points because otherwise, you know, they've got teams really trailing them and they, they might mm-hmm. lose out that four, like that those Champions League spots. So, I think, yeah, I think lay out on form and they get a win here. If you know what I mean, yeah, you I agree, create yeah. a moment to create a moment to get them the game. But we have to give Bologna some credit. Their season has kind of been petering out a little bit. They've hit a rough patch of form. They've only got one win in the last five. But this is a big draw away in Milan. It'll feel like a, uh, it'll feel like a win by courtesy of the last-minute penalty for Mussolini. But also, as you said, Ben Zerxi having an incredible season. I'd be intrigued to see him do it over more than one season. Like I said before, the season kicked off. I thought this could be a breakout season for him because Bologna sold on out of itch and that left the space for him to be the main guy and him get the minutes and have a proper run in the team. And it's he's taken full advantage. I would just. I, I want to see him do it again next year. And I hope I hope for him, really, that he stays at Bologna for one more year and then gets his big move and just gives himself a bit more time. So I think if the Bayern Munich move in the first place shows anything for Xerxes is that he, he made that move too early and yeah. it wasn't the right for him. He went to Palmer and he went here, he went there, and he's taken a while to get back on track. So I hope he has learned the lesson and had a, and has a bit of patience and gives Bologna another year. But we will see another, yeah, great goal by him. Great season all around. Yeah. He, I think, yeah, I think you're saying beautiful finish. I think his composure in the box for someone who's quite tall in stature and could almost look quite clunky with his feet, it's just incredible. Mm-hmm. Like, from what I've seen, I think all of the kind of fundamentals are there. But like you said, I think... He is potentially at risk of the only thing I would say to that, or it kind of it probably proves your point even more, to be honest, is the fact that, yeah, I definitely think he probably made that buy and move too soon. But the fact that they have a huge percentage of that sell on clause inserted in his contract shows you that they definitely still believe in his potential. I think they might have a buyback clause as well. I can't remember. Yeah, it's for when I was, 50, I, uh, 40 million, but it's only for them. Yeah. And but I think for other clubs they've got a big percentage of a sell-on fee as well, haven't they? So it's like they do definitely, they do definitely believe that he could either go on to be something special there or elsewhere. And I think he's just he's just really fun to watch as well. Very skillful for someone that's like that's that again like the whole kind of archetype of like stereotype of great touch or a big lad. But he definitely does have that, and he's definitely got some kind of skill to go alongside as, as well. But yeah, I really enjoyed that finish and um, a, yeah, good performance from him as well absolutely love it well elsewhere pod favorite davide nicola the good times continue at empoli after that fantastic um Zhukovsky inspired win they managed to hold juventus to a point 10 man juventus um to a point one one um 
Now, the big moment for me here, I don't know if you saw this, the referee blew the whistle. Nobody's talking about it. The only person I've seen mention it is Uncle Sharma, Interfan, friend of the pod. <laughs> that The referee blew the whistle as Baldanzi was about to shoot on an open goal. Um, definitely, definitely suspicious. But we need to give Empoli some credit. Baldan- Baldanzi, a great performance from him. Um, Juve, of course, Vlaovic scored, but they let the point slip. A bad night all round for Juve, Ben, eh? Yeah, it's probably one of those one of those where with eleven men they probably do hold on, mm-hmm. um, and especially going down. But then again, it's tricky because just like you go one nil down that early on into the game, then get yourself in front. The goal, although it was a good finish, was pretty soft to concede that. It almost just dribbled into the far corner, and it was like it just felt like one of those. You've been there so many times before where you've kind of been holding on in these games, and then it's a goal like that that sort of undoes it for you, where it's just like it feels very avoidable. Um, and again, that's with Inter winning as well and kind of showing the, their teeth and showing the kind of, you know, their, the, the makings of them to go and get that really impressive victory away from home at Fiorentina. This was a real opportunity to, for Uwe at home, despite the fact that Empoli, you know, kind of season rolls on for them mm-hmm. and they're having a great time of it. But yeah, it, that's two massive points dropped for Uwe. But again, the fact that I think if you look at the positives, the fact that they have got Vlajevic scoring at a regular rate now. He kind of keeps up this run that he's on. Another good finish for him in a crowded penalty area. We've seen like a lot of, I think, a lot of the goals that he's been scoring recently have just been really quality finishes, but sometimes in a bit of space. And it's just like he's got the time to kind of really take his time with it and just pick out the corner so ruthlessly. Or like we've seen, we we saw him again nearly score another free kick in the first half. He's just got so much quality. Mm -hmm. But that goal was good because it was just like so many men around him, but he managed to get it on the volley. Um, kind of almost like falling over as well. And it was a good finish, but yeah, big disappointment for Juve for sure. Yeah, well, it's a confident Vlaovic again, isn't it? He got lost a little bit at Juve, uh, but it's good to see him have his confidence back. The madness before this game, we need to talk about Allegri. Like Allegri is a notorious mental person. Like he is a weirdo. (laughs) Um, Have you seen his one-man campaign to get a um, mind games against Inzaghi and Inzaghi is just refusing to, uh, to engage? He came out with some really strange um, uh, analogies this week. He described Juve as the uh, Juve are the are the police and Inter are the thieves, and he was coming up with all this stuff like nobody wants us to win and Inter and, that, and like just trying to bait Inzaghi into a reply. Obviously, nobody said anything, and then after the game, he just threw out another thing, just hoping that Inzaghi says something. So I feel like the pressure might be getting to Allegri already um, as Feels he crumbles like a it. little bit. But of course, this is all ahead, Kieran, of the Derby d'Italia, which is it's it's the next game. It's coming up, and both these teams. How do you see it? How are you feeling about this game? This is absolutely massive. Of course, into one point ahead with the game in hand, Juve need to win this. Yeah, I can't wait. Um, it's going to be a fantastic game. I think, as you say, like I think it comes down to whether Inter can keep Vlavic quiet. Mm-hmm. Um, and obviously, you know, as you say, they've really improved in their defence this year. But I think Vla- keeping Vlavic quiet, he's on a bit of run form, and like he's he's a difficult man to deal with at the best of times. So I think. I think if they can keep him quiet, and I, I I do I do believe Inter will win the game, but I think it's going to be a tough one. I'm not sure if it will necessarily be a high-scoring one. Mm-hmm. It it has a history of being high-scoring, but I think it it's I'm not sure if it'll be high-scoring, but I think 
in it will be one at the back if Inter are to win it. I think. I think they they got folks on getting that clean sheet and hopefully then just you know Lautaro will hopefully deliver as we spoke about earlier. Um, if if they can keep clean sheet, then someone will get a goal. I think I think, I think it's sort of going to be a one or two goal game, uh, and hopefully it's one or two nil to Inter. We hope, Ben. How do you see it going? It's it's set up so nicely. It's set up so nicely. Yeah, I see it the same way. To be honest, I feel like Inter that that momentum is with them now. With Juve slipping up, dropping points, Inter have got that game in hand as well. So this is an opportunity to go four points clear with a game in hand. And I feel like it's a it is at San Siro, isn't it? The the reverse fixture was one all at uh, yep. Uve. So it's you know, it's a massive opportunity for them in front of a home crowd. And I do think they'll get it done. Like Kieran says, I don't think it would be massively high score, and I could see it being two nil, two one. Um because I feel like with the way especially the inter defended at Fiorentina, although a lot of it felt backs to the wall in terms of like some of the blocks from Pavard and mm-hmm. what Sommer was pulling out, etc. With, you know, De Vrij, Bastoni, Pavard, that is a very solid back line. It does feel like this kind of statement game almost now that this will be um, and potentially season defining as well with an opportunity to go seven points clear if they win the game in hand as well after this. It's a huge opportunity for Inter that I don't see them passing up. I, d- mm-hmm. I certainly don't see Juve winning. I, I feel like it may be a draw, but I, d- I feel like it's, this is Inter's for me. Yeah, I really, really hope we're right and we haven't just put the classic Anglo-Italian curse on it, but we will yeah. see. Um, elsewhere in Serie A, just very quickly to go through the results, Lazio and Napoli was absolutely atrocious. Um, nil-nil. A game, both the games last season were fantastic between these two teams and it says a lot about the drop-in standard at both sides that that game was just awful. Um, Dionisi continues to have a terrible time at Sassuolo. Monza winning 1-0 there. Copani with another goal. Um, Verona and Frosinone drew one all. Verona just doing their best to throw away games at this point. Caio Jorge scoring again. His first time getting back-to-back goals in Serie A. And Scamacca scoring. And Marantruk as Atalanta beat Udinese 2-0. Atalanta very quietly up in fourth place now on 36 points with a game in hand over Roma, who are currently winning 2-1 away in Salernitana. So that race for the top four still very much alive. But Atalanta quietly having a very, very good season. And for my Fanta Calcio, I hope Scamacca plays a few games in a row. It would be nice to see him just not have one game and then disappear for a month. Um, But guys, I think that is everything for the show. I think we've covered everything. Um, anything else we wanted to talk about before we send these lovely people home? Just to quickly, Napoli Lazio. It was a it was a pretty awful game. But did you see the did you see the disallowed goal? Um, yes, yeah, I yes. <laughs> that it was an unbelievable. Good. Some goals yeah. should just be allowed to stand, right? I think that's yeah, yeah, exactly. Should be allowed to stand. Exactly. exactly. Um, we, we need to amend the laws. That's a very good point. I should have remembered <laughs> that. Um, what goal? Did, what goal did we have that with a few months ago? Where it was? Was it against? I think it was against Juve, but I can't remember who it yeah. was. Oh, good after it's gone. But there it was, was on the last game. minute of the game. I can't remember who it was now. No, it's gone. It's gone. But yes, we need to we, we need to write to uh, Lega Serie and see if they can change <laughs> yeah. the laws. There has to be. There has I'm sure to be they will. An amendment. Yeah, yeah. Well, they don't know what's going on. They'll they'll, they'll bring it in. Um, but anyway, guys, thanks for joining us, Kieran. Thanks for joining us. It's been a pleasure. When are you're getting a lot of love in the chat as well, by the way. Um, but. When our viewers and followers want to find you, um, where can they find you online? Where can they see your stuff? Um, so on uh, mainly on Twitter, which is khanalytics02. 
and then also on Instagram, KHH Analytics. So, but yeah, I'm going to be posting sort of like, you know, mainly just sort of data stuff. And then also I'm doing long style threads as well weekly. So yeah, mm-hmm. but thank you. Beautiful. Very much for I appreciate Good it. Stuff. Yeah, no, it's been a pleasure, man. It's, it's been a pleasure. And well, Ben, so. pleasure as always. Uh, do you want to plug your channels yes, before mate. we go? Yeah, uh, Ben Talks Football on TikTok. I'm about to go and make a little video because I've just seen Antonio Noose has failed his medical at Brentford. So a bit of a bullet dodge for Spurs potentially there. Um, wow. So if you want to hear my opinions on that, go and watch that. Um, because there was a lot of Spurs fans losing their minds uh, last night when that broke. Of course. About him, uh, Brentford, him choosing Brentford over us and this kind of stuff. But he has apparently failed his medical. So, yeah. Uh, but yeah, Ben talks about on TikTok. Um, ben underscore Bowman underscore on Twitter for more just Tottenham ramblings. A lot of underscores in there. But yeah, um, that's where you can that's where you can find me. Beautiful. Well, guys, thank you. As always, hit the like and subscribe button. You can find us on Twitter at Italian Anglo Pod, on Instagram and TikTok at Anglo Italian Pod. We're doing some AFCON stuff. We're doing reactions. We're doing all sorts. Um, and yeah, give us a like and subscribe. Tell a friend and everything. We will be back on Friday looking forward to the Derby d'Italia and all the Premier League action. There's Premier League action this midweek as well that I've completely forgot about. Um, and we will be recapping that. So we will see you on Friday, guys. Ciao. Adolfo. Podcast Network.